a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in to a Two Towers World Podcast. Big episode, my friends, our friends, Tom Hackett, Steve Bartle. Steve, today's the day. Uh, we promised last week when the news broke that we would get on here and uh, chew the fat regarding everything that the investigation found, our reactions, our questions um, that, that will require answers eventually. And here we are. It's 446 on Wednesday, the 1st of July, uh, earlier this afternoon at 1.30, uh, well, even before that, at 12.30, there was a, an email sent out to media members um, that basically gave all of the information away. The teleconference took place an hour after that, uh, in which Mark Harlan, Carl Whittingham, and Morgan Scully himself um, gave opening statements and then asked, oh, answered questions. So... Uh, I guess we start with the investigation, Steve. We start with the investigation and we'll go through that. Uh, although it needs, you know, it doesn't need to be long. I'm sure many of the people that listen to this podcast have a pretty good idea as to what the investigation found. Uh, and then, of course, the, the large majority of this conversation will be our reaction, the questions that still remain. Uh, and believe it or not, there's recruiting news. Uh, and the timing of that recruiting news is also worth a small topic of conversation. How are you doing, though, my friend? Man, I'm doing much better today. Uh, now that we, uh, we've got the news out, Scally is back. And I think this is something that many of us that have kind of followed this have been you know, waiting for this to, to kind of happen. And, and now we can all kind of let, a, let out a, a big breath of, of relief. And, and now we can kind of move forward knowing what's going to, what's going to happen. And so, but outside of that, man, I'm good. I'm a little disappointed. I, I didn't get to go golfing this morning. I didn't schedule that properly. I didn't plan out my day properly, but other than that, man, I'm good. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing well too. All things considered, you know, Utah has got some coronavirus mm-hmm. bikeage happening. And so that's concerning. And then Mm-hmm. news regarding Scally and the weight and when is it going to be announced? I already know most of the, everything I need to know. Can we just announce it? And, uh, and now we're here, but you know, look, 4th of July, Steve, is this upcoming weekend, which is exciting. We can uh, barbecue and have some fun and uh, let mm-hmm. our head down socially distance, of course, but let's start with, um, Let's start with the findings of the investigation, shall we? So, sure. Um, when you opened that email, did you go? Here's a question: Did you go to the letter from Mark Harlan and Carl Whittingham first, or did you go to the findings of the investigation? Oh, I, I went to the uh, I went to the Mark Harlan letter. I I, I went for the letter. Um, I wanted to see what 
Harlan had to say first before diving into, you know, what the investigation found. Um, you know, I had, I had heard things and kind of had an idea of, of what was going to be coming and, and, and that kind of thing. But I, I was curious to see what Mark Harlan had to say. And so I, I went to the letter first. Did, did you do the same or did you, did you check out what, what was found in the investigation? No, I, I went to the letter because I, you know, we both knew that the chances of Scally returning was like 98%. Mm-hmm. I don't think, well, I'll speak for myself. I wasn't a hundred percent sure. I guess I never right. really am though until it's official. So I wanted to see just to quote, just to clarify that he was coming back before going and kind of going into the weeds and digging into the, but they buried, they, it, they, they buried the news down the bottom of the letter. Oh yeah. Did you notice that? They made you, yeah. No, I'm sure there were media members that were just like losing their mind. Like, trying to figure out if he's coming back or not. And, oh, that's uh, clever on there. Right? Well, so I, I opened the email and all that it said was one thirty media teleconference. And so I tweeted out, well, one thirty PM it is like, you know, like that was it. I didn't even see the, you know, the attachments to it. Uh, I had to go back after I, I, you know, after I tweeted something to take a closer look once I started seeing like Josh Furlong and, you know, other guys starting to tweet stuff. I was like, wait, did I just, did I just not read? Do I not know how to read or something? And then, you know, obviously I found the, uh, the attachments and went to the heart of the letter first. So, uh, man, it was pretty crazy, but, uh, yeah, he's back. Uh, and what did you make of the disciplinary action that they levied against Scally considering, you know, now that we know kind of what the investigation turned up, what do you make of, you know, Scally's punishment and, and, you know, what he's going to have to face moving forward. I think it's fair, Steve. Yeah. I think it's fair. I think that's the bottom line. And we can get into the nuts and bolts of the exact investigation, what it found. But I think, you know, to start the conversation, I think for me personally, it just felt as though they did the right thing. Um, Mm. and, And I'm a massive fan, by the way, and this investigation and this chapter in Utah football has reiterated that, I'm adamant everything Mark Harlan touches turns to gold. I just think he's a wizard um, at what he does. I highly rate him. I think Utah football, Utah athletics are very fortunate to have him leading uh, the, 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 the department. Uh, and the way he conducted everything was second to none. I thought it was world-class. They, you know, they did an outside investigation. They didn't do an internal one, so there shouldn't be any bias. Um, that occurred within the investigate. It was thorough. They didn't. They didn't feel or seem rushed. You know, when right. you've easily been um, within however many months now from the college football season supposedly starting, and you're, we're talking about one of the main contributors on the coaching staff in question, it would have been very easy for Mark Harlan, the athletic department, to panic, to rush, to to conduct a ten day, one week investigation jump to conclusions, hope it works out. They didn't. It, it, it was just shy of a month, right? So the news broke on the 5th mm-hmm. of June. It's the 1st of July right now. So four odd days shy of, of one month. Um, and that's valuable time. That, mm-hmm. you know, especially now that the athletes are starting to be able to come back, return. Um, there's, there's a little bit of interaction. I know the coaches are allowed to be within, in, in the office. I think it's like four days a week. 
Um, although they're required to wear masks, a ton of other protocols. So I just think the way it, it unfolded was good. I know yesterday yeah. uh, Scally admitted to speaking to the team, apologizing, sharing, I'm sure some detail as to what actually occurred. And then following that Zoom meeting, the leadership council met with Coach Whittingham and Mark Harlan, and the, the leadership council is about 12-odd players, uh, and they all had differing opinions, as everybody has. Uh, they offered uh, their own insights as to how this, this mess can be, uh, can be fixed um, of sorts. You know, whether you can fix it entirely is still to be determined. And then following that plane group meeting with Witt and Harlan, Witt and Harlan actually had their own meeting, and that's where the decision was made. Um, so it was thorough. I think that's all you want. Yeah. With something of this magnitude, this serious, you just want it to be thorough. Uh, and it seems like it has. And again, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of the investigation and talk about some of the key points, but what about yourself? Yeah. You know, looking through this, they, they looked at every, every opportunity, you know, they turned over every stone, interviewed a number of people and totally interviewed 35 individuals, 23 of which were current and former members of the football team, 15 current and former employees and a football program consultant. So they went through uh, a lot of individuals, a lot of interviews, a lot of time talking to people about Morgan Scally, their interactions with him, and, and you know, just conducted a very thorough investigation like you alluded to, Tom. And and when you look at what the investigation found, it, it, you know, you look at this and it's like, man, it's, it's almost unanimously positive, you know, like almost all of it is, is positive in, in terms of what the investigation turned up into some of the accusations that were uh, made against him um, on Twitter from, you know, former athletes and, and other things like that. Most of it turned out to be quite positive for Scally, which was uh, maybe a, a bit surprising. Um, but I think that just speaks to, you know, Scally's reputation and, and, you know, who he is as a, as a human being. And I think, you know, it was, you, you worried at times that of, of what was going to be found, you know, if there was anything else. Um, but, you know, you look at the, at the report and it's, it's, pretty positive for, for Scally. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Um, and, and, you know, if I were to go back to my uh, experiences w- within the program, um, I never heard anything uh, from a racial standpoint said by the man. So nothing indicated to me that, that he was a racist. Um, I, I, you know, I will say this and it's worth talking about. And I wish I had have asked this question. In fact, I tried to ask the question, but I was, I, I emailed Paul during the teleconference. Hey, I've got a question. Sorry if this is too late. And I kind of knew he wouldn't see it in the teleconference, and he did, so I wasn't able to ask it, unfortunately. But, you know, he is, Scally is such a perfectionist. He demands more from his playing group than a lot of other coaches do. Um, and I think at times it can come across very aggressive and even potentially insensitive. And I'm curious, you know, his coaching style um, has to change, I think. But, but, but I, don't, I don't know, you know, you know. Yeah. How does he change as a player? How does he develop as a coach? How does he adapt and move forward? I think it has to change, although that's such, 
a tricky thing to do because what he's been doing has worked, albeit, you know, without the racial slur, you know, get rid of the mm. racial slur. And, and I think we wouldn't be having this conversation in the first place, but everything he's done has been, I mean, they were, they were second in the country in total defense only behind Ohio state last year. Right. I mean, so yeah, no continue. Yeah. You know, I think Scally has proven that, and, and you probably know this better than I do, but I've, I've had interactions with me and the people that I work with at Ute Zone, Dan Swanson and others have had interactions with Scally and, and they all talk about how committed he is to bettering, you know, his ability as a coach. And I think, you know, his actions here and, and what he's done is under the microscope. And I think he understands that it has to change. And, uh, you know, we'll get into what he talked about in the teleconference and some of the you know, his feelings and, and kind of what he said in the teleconference. But, you know, I look at this and I, I firmly believe that Scally is going to really dive into what needs to change. I, I don't know what those changes are. I'm not here to, to, to make suggestions of, you know, what types of things he should say in practice and what he shouldn't. You know, I don't think that you are either, Tom. I don't think that we're trying to, to write a, a, you know, a, a guideline book here for, for Coach Scali, but I do, do think that he is committed to learning what he needs to do and how he needs to communicate with with all people, with everybody. And I think, you know, it's clear that that change needs to happen, and I think it's also clear <clears throat> that Scali is committed to making that change, to learning and to improving as a coach and as a human being and to, you know, embracing you know, this, this kind of change. I, I, w- I will say this, Steve. I think, um, I think it's fair to say the world we live in right now is very different than the world we lived in three months ago. It has evolved um, for a number of reasons. The pandemics obviously um, had a part to play. And then the Black Lives Matter movement, um, the protests, you know, we are in such a different spot now than we once were just three three months ago. And I think, and this isn't just Utah football problem. I've seen it all across the Pac-12. I've seen it all across the country. Just watching it on television, you can see this. Is I think a lot of coaches out there, <clears throat> pardon me if I were to stereotype, coach the same way that the coaches who coached them coached. Um, and that is, you know, hard on their players. And they require a lot. And the way they treat certain individuals on a playing roster um, is is probably not okay in today's day and age, you know, like it might've been back in the eighties. And, and so I think this investigation, this chapter in Utah football's life, this, this movement that we're currently in is a lesson for, you know, everybody, but in particular the the college coaches around the entire country, Uh, because you have got to figure out a way to treat everybody equally. You have to find a way to be sincere, um, you have to find a way to show respect, uh, admiration, care for, and I'm not saying Coach Scali didn't, by the way, but the bottom line is you, you, you can't be as aggressive as maybe you, you, you could be. Um, and that's, a, that's yeah. a football coaching problem. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. And it, you, you're starting to see it across the country too with this. Players are speaking up against – 
you know, coaches. I mean, you saw Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State, you know, publicly point out his issues with his head coach for wearing a T-shirt, uh, an OAN T-shirt. Uh, West Virginia, um, a, a player there called out his coach for having a slave owner's mentality is what he called it. And so you're just seeing players being more active, more vocal, more willing to to call out coaches that have this type of behavior. I wouldn't compare Scally's mentality to, you know, the, the coach at West Virginia at all. I just think there is a lot of learning that Scally needs to do. I don't think he he made comments or anything out of hate. I just think it was out of, you know, like he said, lack of judgment and, and insensitivity. And, and I think this will be, you know, this is going to provide him a time, you know, and it's going to provide him a platform to change and to prove that he has changed. I think he's going to be under the microscope, um, not only from, you know, those he's going to be under the microscope basically from everybody that, that follows college football, whether it be athletic directors, you know, people, decision makers, whether it be fellow coaches or, you know, recruits and their players, everybody's going to have Scally under, under some type of microscope. I think that that players are, are mostly, you know, happy to have him back, but I do think that there is a bit of, I don't want to say uneasiness, but I do think that that Scally will have to have conversations with certain players um, and, and players in general, and you know he's going to have to uh, to address some things there. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, players want to see that change. You know, we we got what we wanted to hear, but now it's about seeing that action and, and seeing him committed to to that change and following through on what he said. And I, I fully believe and trust that he will do that. I have thought for a very long time now, since, since being introduced to this game, that the, the, the world of college football needs to evolve and the players need to have more of a, a voice. Uh, Coach Whitting mm-hmm. frequently tells the playing group that it's a player-run program, and he's correct to a certain extent. However, um, there have been a lot of instances where um, you don't feel as though it's a player run program. It's a wrong program. And uh, it's, it's such a tricky divide. You know, the NFL, certainly player run league players get generally what the players want. And if they don't, then there's a compromise. And generally speaking, the players come out better because of it. You can't have that same mentality in college football uh, because you know, we're dealing with much younger men, the, the 18, 19, 20-year-old men for the most part. So they are growing, they're maturing, they're developing, um, they're, they're, they're turning into adults, if you will. And, you know, a lot of the times they're immature. And so I understand that there's such, it's such a trickle, tri- difficult job, pardon me, for any college coach to try and mentor and, and lead uh, these young men to, uh, to find success down the road. But, uh, I, look, I just think the players, they're the ones that bring all the money in. They're, they're the ones that, that are, why, are why Coach Winningham makes however many million dollars a year he makes. They're the ones that people buy a ticket to come see. They, you know, people don't come buy a ticket to see Coach Winningham coach. 
they come to they come to see the quarterback throw the football to his receivers or the running back weave his way through traffic and score touchdowns or the defense make big plays and turn the ball over and you know hit people so that you know that hit you can hear from the other side of the stadium and send shivers up your spine you know that's what people are paying to see and I, I just think and I have thought for a while that the players deserve more of a, a voice and I'm, I'm really happy yeah. to see that that is starting to occur uh, and, and you know what the, it's it's a similar conversation you know with the whole good cop bad cop black lives matter movement the players should stand up for the good coaches the ones that are truly in the profession to to coach them to guide them uh, and to mature with, you know to mature them but the coaches yeah, sorry the players should should stand up and uh, and confront i don't want to say the bad coaches but the ones that you know might not have it might not be in the profession because of the reasons they should, you know? Um, yeah. And so I'm all about it. Yeah, I'm all for it. And, and I think what Coach Galley has learned a very hard, valuable lesson, but one he'll be grateful for down the road. Mm-hmm. Although, Steve, I would say there are a number of questions that still need to be answered. And uh, uh, I guess the first question I have is, what's the response from the playing group going to be? Right. Yeah, no, for me, that was, that was question number one. We, we did a little breakdown of what it means for Scali coming back to the program. And the first, first point that I, I tried to make was he has to address the issue with those inside the building. You know, as, as media members and as fans, you know, we often hear players talk about the only opinions that matter to them are the ones inside the building. Um, and it's those relationships inside the facility walls, the ones between the coaches and the players that are most important within a football program, you know, and, and are key to building that, that atmosphere and that family culture. And so right now, Scowley's got to make sure that that relationship between him and those players, you know, is one that can continue moving forward. And I think, you know, for the most part, like I said earlier, I do think that most players are are welcoming, will welcome him back. And, and I think at the same time, there will be players that will have, you know, will have issues. We'll, we'll need to, to hear certain things. We'll need to, you know, have things answered. And, and I don't think that's wrong of them at all. I, I think they deserve to know, you know, one, what happened and also, you know, what they can expect moving forward. And so I, I firmly believe, and I'm with you, Tom, that, you know, his relationship with the players and those inside the program, you know, that's priority number one right now for him is making sure that they are on the same page and, and that, um, you know, they can continue working together especially right now with everything going on outside of, of football and outside of sports, that they're, they're still that family. There's still that connection between them and, and that there's still that respect and trust and love, you know, for, for lack of a better term. And, and so, you know, that's, that's definitely priority number one for him, in, in my opinion, at least. No, I agree. Do you, do you think, you think there are going to be some players that, Essentially, put in their transfer waiver because of this. 
I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know. And, and, you know, I know that transfers are always something that are a part of the game. Will we see a, a transfer because of this situation specifically? Maybe, you know, maybe there is one or two that, that elect to, to leave the program because they aren't comfortable being in that environment. But, but, but at the same time, I think that, you know, those one or two players that may have issues, um, I think that sitting down with Skelly would be beneficial. I mean, what do you think, Tom? Do you think that, that we'll see, I don't want to say an exodus of players at all. I, I don't think it's that – uh, to that level of concern. But what do you think? Do you think, you know, we we see a player leave and, and maybe even specifically cite that he's leaving because of Scali? Well, I, I unfortunately, <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm a pessimist uh, for the most mm-hmm. part, and I wish I was a little more optimistic. But I can tell you this, um, vast majority of any college football team across the entire country aren't very happy. Uh, and it's pretty self-explanatory as to why you're not, happy on a college football team. There's 120 people on a roster and there are about what, 22 starting spots. Uh, right. And, and you might get some reps as a backup on the two, on the two deep, but you want to be a starter. And, um, and so, yes, the majority of a football locker room, if they're talking about yeah. happy or unhappy there, they're not that happy because then they're, they're not starting, you know? And, right. and if I'm a player and I'm say I'm third on the depth chart, and I think that there's a reason that I can get a, a waiver granted because of this situation and, and potentially start fresh and start somewhere else. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't want to put any ideas in anybody's mind, but I'm certainly considering that. You know, it, I'd be a fool not to, quite frankly. Because yeah. um, you, you, play, you play college football to play in the NFL um, yeah. and to play on Sundays and to make a lot of money and to support your family and to support your children and to, and to support your children's children and to hopefully one day buy your parents a big home and a nice car. And, you know, that's the dream. And that's why you do mm-hmm. it. Whack heads every day to not. And you're not going to make the NFL by not starting. You know, there right. aren't backups that make the NFL. College football backups, I should say. So um, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, no, that's that's sorry to to, to interrupt, but that's a great point. That you know, if a player who was already looking to to find maybe a better opportunity at playing time, they've probably got a a great shot at, at getting a waiver granted because of this situation. I, that's a great point that you make, Tom. Well, it's just a very sensitive subject with right the world that we live in right now and racial inequality, social injustice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have a hard time seeing the NCAA be all that fickle surrounding the subject matter and rather just granting you. And we've seen them over the last couple of years, Steve, let's not, you know, beat around the bush. We've seen the NCAA certainly loosen their lock or their strength yeah. on, uh, on the waiver, you know, they right. grant way more waivers now than they ever have. And <laughs> you no know, reason as to why they wouldn't, they wouldn't in this case as well. So yeah. I and look again. I don't want to put any ideas in anybody's minds. If, if players listen to this podcast, you know. But at the same time, that's that's my train of thought. But who knows? Who the yeah. hell knows? At the end of the day, 
Yeah, no. And and your perspective as a former player, I, I think that, you know, that carries weight. I think that, you you know, you're providing a look into the mindset of a player. And and it's important to to keep that in mind as we move forward that, yeah, you know, not not play not every player is 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 going to be happy. And it's because of other situations, you know, and, and other reasons. But this, you know, this provides them maybe an opportunity, like you said, to get a waiver. That's a great point, Tom. Uh, I guess the biggest question I have now, Steve, remaining is, will he be able to recruit again? And I guess before you answer that, I, I do want to mention and, and say this. I think if, if he can recruit again, I think he's still the favorite to take over Carl Whittingham. But if he can recruit again, Steve, then, you know, He's certainly not going to be the, the head coach in waiting. He probably doesn't even have a place in college football. Go to the NFL and let the scouts recruit for you, and you worry about the coaching. In college football, recruiting is the name of the game. We've talked about it on this podcast before. We'll continue to talk about it. Do you think he's going to have any issues? I mean, there will be issues, and, and the issues will be because other programs will use this against him uh, in, in recruitment. And what you've seen though, you know, shortly after the news broke, there were, you know, I, I published my, my new story and obviously I've got a lot of recruits that follow me and there were many that actually retweeted, um, the, the news and, you know, quote tweeted it and included, uh, some, some emojis, some, uh, some messages providing clear indication of their support of Scally. And so, you know, I think, I think he's in a unique situation because he has been at Utah for so long. He has relationships where people know Morgan Skelly. They know who he is. They know what he's, he's, you know, supposed to be about. Um, Obviously regaining that trust and that confidence um, is going to be key moving forward. But Scally, because of where he's at in his career, if this was year three or four, I don't know that he could survive this on the recruiting trail. But because we're entering, you know, year five of him being the defensive coordinator where he was a a safeties coach for a few years before that, because, you know, he's getting up there in his tenure at Utah, that provides him a lot of relationships, a lot of resources, and, and a lot of time. Uh, to rebuild um, those relationships with, you know, his coaches that he talks to, resources that he uses and, and talks to, you know, in recruiting. And and that's going to be key. He's going to have to rely on those people to, you know, reestablish things. But absolutely, programs are, are going to use this against him. I do think that he will be able to overcome this. I don't think that this will be so much of an issue in this current class. I think for the most part, Utah has done such a, a tremendous job with this 2021 class, despite, despite the fact that there's only seven commits in the class. Uh, they have a pretty good idea of who they're honing in on and have spent a lot of time developing their relationships with them where they're further down the road with them than, than other recruits. The issue is going to be, you know, in the class of 2022 and class of 2023 where Morgan Skelly has to go into a home of a recruit that he's never met um, and say, Hey, 
you know, we want you to come play at Utah. That's where the issue, where the concern is above all else. But I do think that Scali is, uh, is aware enough uh, and, and will move forward and he'll be able to overcome this. I do believe that he'll be able to overcome this. Um, and, you know, with time, I think time heals all and he'll be able to move forward and continue recruiting, you know, at a high level. I, I certainly hope so. I, and I don't think either of us have, nobody has the answer. Scally doesn't have right. the answer. Time is just going to be able to, time is going to give us the answer we need. But mm-hmm. it's such a vital question and such a vital yeah. answer when talking about the future of Morgan Scally um, and, and, and where his career is going to go um, because that'll determine, that'll determine everything. Hey, um, while we're on the topic, there was uh, there is some recruiting news that we need to get yeah. start with uh, the wide receiver out of Texas, which, by the way, for those that don't know, is uh, Morgan Scally's stomping ground. He has Texas, and uh, I don't know if if he had a part to play in this recruit, but I imagine he had some impact. Literally minutes after the teleconference concluded. Uh, middle mid middle afternoon today on on Wednesday July first, a wide receiver uh, committed to Utah. What can you tell us about him, Steve? Yeah, Demikio Nathan is his name. Three star receiver out of South Grand Prairie, uh, Prairie, Texas. I was literally in the process of writing out my tweet and my reaction to what Scally had said in the teleconference. I was going to to tweet something about how I was fighting back the tears, listening to Scally, you know, as he choked up. Um, and then all of a sudden, boom, this kid announces his commitment literally minutes after the, uh, the, the teleconference concluded, uh, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, anything here, but is this, you know, is this a coincidence? I, you know, I don't, I don't think this was, this was too much of a coincidence that, you know, if the timing here is just, you know, it's it's unique. I'll say that. If that's any indication as to how Scally's recruiting is going to go moving forward, then he's the head coach in a way. We'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be fine. We'll yeah, get- absolutely. Um, but in terms of of Demikio Nathan himself, uh, this is a kid. Uh, I've I've had quite a few people text me about him, and, and the first thing that they say is Damari Simpkins question mark. And you watch his tape, and that's exactly. You know what you'll see is is this kid is very much a Damari Simpkins type. You know, five ten, five eleven, hundred sixty, hundred seventy five pounds right now in high school. Uh, good athleticism, good hands, good route runner. And as he moves up, you know, to the college level, he'll really be able to kind of hone in his footwork and his route running and his hands. And you know, this is a solid addition to the class. And I know that quarterback Peter Costelli was, you know had a hand in this and, and, you know, was recruiting him to join him at Utah. So it's good to see, you know, Costelli active on the recruiting trail and getting guys to join him in the class. So, um, you know, pretty nice to add a player from Texas literally minutes uh, after, uh, after Morgan Scali has announced that he has returned to the program. An African-American player at that. Yeah. Which, yep. which is important to add. Um, hey, and then uh, Ricky Parks. Ricky Parks, man. We talked about it last week. You said, 
Iowa or Utah? What did you did you end up finding anything late in the process? Yeah, so you know, fortunately, you know, in this game, you develop some some key relationships, uh, and you know, luckily, I, I found a developed a pretty good relationship with somebody close to the situation. And you know, while he he never fully told me it would be Utah, he provided enough hints, enough indications. Uh, that he felt confident it was going to be Utah, and so uh, it was. It was pretty interesting. So I put my crystal ball in after you know, as we were recording, I, I put it in, which was Friday afternoon. Um, and you know, I I was I felt good enough to put it in, but I wasn't overwhelmingly confident. So you know, we've got this thing at twenty four seven sports where you can put in a prediction and then you can add a confidence meter between one and ten. And so I put mine right there at five, um, just saying, nice. you just know, on the fence. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I'm confident, but I'm not too confident is basically yeah. what I was saying. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Saturday, Friday goes by, Saturday goes by, and, and the Iowa guys, you know, the moderators for the Iowa site um, at 24-7 Sports actually felt more confident and, and raised their confidence level on, on their picks they still had him to Iowa. Our national guys had him to Iowa, and, and all indications were that he was going to go to Iowa. Uh, but then Sunday morning, the, the the tune changed, and about an hour before he announced, uh, you know, all the Utah crystal balls started to come in, and and this is a big pickup for Kyle McDonald and the Utah offense. Ricky Parks is is a three star prospect, but he is a four star talent. Um, you know, can you if, make if that happen? Can you move the star rating for us, please? I I can't personally like I don't have that power, but I will be annoying enough where people will just be like, "All right, Steve, we'll make him a four star." Like that's what I do. Is I just basically, you know, I just yeah. I'm just annoying. Yeah, nice. yeah. You know, I'm I'm persistent with it. But yeah, he is a four star talent. He was originally. I mean, you read through his his offer sheet on Friday. You know, Penn State, Iowa. Uh, Kentucky, South Carolina, a number of, of high-level offers. Uh, and, you know, I know that he dealt with injuries last year as a junior, which is why his his recruitment kind of suffered. But Utah is super confident in his ability. They love his toughness, and that was really what kind of sold them on, on pushing for Ricky Parks over maybe some of the other running back targets that they were going after. So Utah is through the roof. Uh, that they landed Ricky Parks. They're super excited uh, to have him in the class. And, you know, you think of Peter Costelli and Ricky Parks, that's a that's a tremendous duo uh, that uh, will be at Utah for, a, for you know, years to come. Jordan Wilmore just going into his uh, sophomore year, you know. I mean, like, I mean, we touched on it last week. We don't need to harp on it again. But that, that running back room, there's an argument to be yeah. that that is the most talented room on the entire team. Um, Absolutely. I, I, I would pretty comfortably say that that's the most uh, talented group in the entire team, you know, with, with how much depth they have, how much you lost on defense from 2019 going into 2020. It's, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty obvious to me. But anyway, Ricky Park yeah. uh, joining a, a long list of talented backs hoping to have their number called. And, and we certainly wish them all the best. And we're grateful that they're here at the U. Um, Steve, I think we end this, this, this conversation by, uh, by simply saying that uh, as a podcast, it's time to move forward. 
and uh, start getting, let's start getting ready for the season, you know. Hey, let's do it. We still don't know if September 3rd, BYU-Utah is going to happen. <laughs> we haven't been told otherwise. So instead of the Scally Saga, Scally Gate, and all of this other, you know, craziness, that, let's, move, let's move forward. We'll, we'll uh, continue to talk Utah football day uh, or every week on the podcast. But um, let's start talking about football season because it is nearing, Mr. Bartle. Yeah. Yeah. Two months away, man. I think two months away, right? Two months away? Yeah, two months. It sounds right, and it sounds good. So yeah. With it. Hey, uh, don't forget, utezone.com. Do you know what deal you've got going on this week? Man, it seems like we have a deal going like every day, I swear. But, you know, you can come check us out, seven-day free trial if you haven't checked us out already. Um, you know, let me know that you're, you're checking us out, and I'll make sure to take care of you as well. You know, we love our community at Utezone. Uh, we've got a great – uh, you know, message board that is interactive where you can share your thoughts you know, on, on Utah athletics. We have a couple boards where, you know, if you want to have a discussion about things outside of Utah athletics, you can do that as well. So, um, you know, shout out to Utah our subscribers there and uh, as, as well as Dan Sorensen and the whole gang, we appreciate all the support uh, from, from fans and subscribers. Yep. Hey, uh, I've got a subscription. Uh, I love it. I, um, I, I, I recommend you guys to, uh, to every Utah fan I meet. And, and so I, uh, I'll do that again on this podcast. Uh, KSLsports.com is another platform you can go to. It's not entirely Utah-centric, so don't go there expecting. Which is great. Only Utah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's a ton of stuff. You know, really anything that involves Utah in any way, shape, or form, mm-hmm. from a sporting standpoint, you'll find it at KSLsports.com. We would greatly appreciate uh, your visit. Uh, check Steve out, S. Bartle, uh 247 uh, on the tweet machine. Did I, uh, that's right, isn't it? Yep, yep, yep. yep okay, good. Yep. And I'm at Tom Can't Hack It. Don't check me out. I don't have a content on there that you'd love. Steve does. So at S. Bartle 247 it is. Hey, Steve, it's a pleasure. It's also kind of nice to get this podcast done midweek, and now we can relax. Happy oh, yeah. Hi, my man. Yeah, man. Enjoy your weekend. It's good to get this done on a Wednesday where we could just – Move forward to July 4th and enjoy some fireworks from our homes because we aren't going out. We're going to social distance, and we're just going to enjoy fireworks from the comfort uh, behind a window. Yes. Yeah, I'm not going to partake in that, but uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I praise you and hope your, your safety. Uh, again, we should do this podcast on a Wednesday every week, but we won't. We should. Procrastinators. And we uh, we'll see you guys next Friday. Yes. See you, Steve. Bye.